Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, my name is Lauren Hicks. I am in the Ogletree Indianapolis office and I'm here today with my colleague Chris Neer from our Columbia office. And we're going to discuss an obligation of federal contractors and subcontractors. Federal contractors and subcontractors have a number of self-identification forms they're required to implement at various stages of application and employment. One of those forms is called the Voluntary Self-Identification of Disability, also referred to by its number as the CC305. It is a form approved by the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, and it requires renewal every few years. The reason for an OMB form is the Paperwork Reduction Act of 1980 requires that federal agencies obtain approval from OMB before collecting information from 10 or more members of the public. This is to ensure consistency, reasonableness, and that the government isn't putting an undue burden on the public. The CC305 is a bit atypical because the information is housed by the employer, not the government, but it is a government-mandated form. The law compelling the collection of the information is called Section 503. Section 503 serves the purpose of providing equal employment opportunity to qualified individuals with disabilities. It has a variety of different thresholds for different components, but one important note for the self-identification form, the CC305 that we are discussing today, the requirement applies at a lower threshold. It's any number of employees and holding a government contract or subcontract of more than $15,000. As part of the OMB form management, the government has to renew this form every few years, and the form was recently renewed and updated. Due to the approval of this updated form, contractors are required to update and utilize the new version of the form. Chris, how can a contractor tell if they're using the older form or the new form? Thanks, Lauren. So the new form that we're talking about is either going to be, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, going into or started as of July the 25th, 2023. So you need to make sure that your form has the date. If you look at the top right corner, there's an expiration date. This new form expires April 30th, 2026. So if you have a form that is dated prior to that, then that means you're using the old form and you need to update it with this new one uh, by July the 25th of 2023. And what has changed from the new form versus the old form? If you just look at the old forms with this updated form and you just look at it at a quick glance, you'll probably see that it looks largely the same, but there are some differences between the old forms and the new form. The new form or the updated form is still one page. It still has an intro section. It still has a list of disabilities in the middle. Uh, There's still at the at the bottom, there's three response options for applicants and employees to choose which one they want to they want to check. And there's still an employer section at the bottom. However, in the intro section, there are some minor updates to the preferred language for disabilities. Uh, the effect of what's there really hasn't changed, but there is some some language changes in that. Where 
an individual will check uh, at the bottom which one they're choosing in the self-ID form. The list of options to check, yes, I have a disability, no, I do not, or I choose not to answer, they're still there. But the prior reference in the former forms to a history or a record of a disability, that's been removed on this updated form. And now it's a little less wordy um, to simply just mention that you've either you have a disability or you had one in the past. Probably the biggest update to this form, though, is the list of disabilities that is, is listed bulleted in the middle of the form. There are some additional examples of disabilities that have been added. For example, you have alcohol or other substance abuse disorders. There's some information in there about mobility impairment, short stature, traumatic brain injury. There's others that have been added in there. There's also some that were in there before by themselves, but they've been rolled into larger groups. So for example, depression and anxiety were previously listed by themselves. They've now been moved to another bullet and joined with other examples of mental health conditions, just generally. Another example, autism used to be by itself on the previous forms. It's now part of a longer list under neurodivergence. So these, these added disabilities that are listed on the form or the ones that have been moved around, it's not to say that uh, that they weren't, would not have been covered before. It's just that OCCP is doing what it can to make it easier for applicants and employees to understand what would suffice for someone to check yes on this form and feel comfortable doing so. The whole goal of this form is to have individuals identify when they have or had a disability. And the more things that are listed, the, the possible more likelihood someone uh, is going to check yes. And I think their other goal is to just kind of normalize this concept. Some members of the public might think there's a very high threshold for what qualifies as a disability, where under the law, there's a very broad range of things that would qualify. And so I think they selected some of the more well-known, prevalent, and common issues that Americans face from a health perspective. And they've included those to, to again, just try and normalize it for the average person. The other thing I just want to note about the text of the form is it does add this language about your answer is confidential. No one who makes hiring decisions will see it. And this is just a good opportunity for us to remind employers that you want to, whether you're using a paper form or an electronic form, and the vast majority now use electronic self-identification forms, but you want to make sure you are handling these appropriately. And for folks collecting these electronically, you wanna make sure that you're putting appropriate uh, sort of control, right? Limiting the permissions of who can access these forms because it does of course require that no one who's involved in the hiring process, decision-making will see it. Chris, is this form available in English only? It is not. Actually, uh, it is available in English, but also 13 additional languages. And if you go onto OSCCP's website, it's available in two different formats, PDF and Word format. Now, even though it's available in Word format, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can go in and start changing things around with it. Even though that Word version is there, you'll notice in all of the information that OSCCP has put out and the FAQs and, and everything, it has to the form has to stay as is with the exception of the very bottom where there's a section for employer use only. Uh, and that section is there for contractors to use in record keeping and, and data anal analysis. So changes can be made to that, to things like, you know, maybe specific job titles or hire dates, things like that. But 
just be aware the the remainder of that form, everything above the for employer use only section needs to remain as is. So Chris, what if I would like to add some positive diversity inclusion statement at the top of the form and adjust some of the language to reflect my company's name throughout the form? Can I do that? That Again, the form needs to stay as it is. Um, if you're going to do that, it probably needs to be in a different section and not on the form itself. What if I think it doesn't read very well and I want to adjust the order of the content? So maybe I want to move the selection boxes higher or prioritize some other piece of information. Can I do that so long as I don't change the text? So a lot of contractors will want, they'll have lots of different, these different self-ID forms, right? They'll have the, the voluntary self-ID form for vets. They'll have the voluntary self-ID form for gender and race and ethnicity, and they'll be able to make adjustments to those. However, the individuals with disabilities form is different. And so although you may have maybe made some different changes or adjusted certain language on some of your other self-ID forms, this disability form is different and you need to make sure that you leave that disability form unchanged. Otherwise, you do run the risk of having some issues. And we're emphasizing this because we see this issue every day. It's very common for employers to alter the content, uh, the wording of the form, the substance or the order that the content appears on the form. And I also frequently see employers uh, want to delete the OMB number and the expiration date. We cannot do any of those things. The form needs to stay as is. Now, uh, Chris, there are a couple of things that employers need to think about because most employers have uh, different ways they collect this information for job seekers or applicants versus employees. And we want to make sure that employers are updating this form in both, right? So what is sort of the distinction between this for applicants and what do they need to think about for employees? So when you think about your self-identification forms, you typically, for contractors, are thinking about doing it at two different time periods. You're thinking about doing it at the application stage and then sometime post-offer. That still is applicable here. So when this, this, this form needs to be part of that process, when someone submits an application, they need to be offered this voluntary self-ID form. When you're at some point, probably typically like on onboarding, but sometime after post offer, again, all of those self-ID forms are going to be offered and you want to include this form with it as well. But we don't stop there. There's also the requirement that at least once every five years, you offer this voluntary self-ID form to your employees. And at some point in that five-year period, you also have to have one reminder about this form being there and that it can be updated by them at any time. And this is largely due because disability status can change. And so OSCCP wants to ensure that contractors are making their employees aware that with those changes, also they have the ability to change their status and update that form. And some employers as a best practice, just simply solicit the disability information on an annual basis, right? That goes to kind of the normalization of it and uh, hopefully inducing more employees to be willing to share their disability status. And then we don't make sure, we also make sure that we don't forget, right, that every five-year reminder and the once in between, which is kind of awkward timing and easy to sort of um, let fall to the wayside. So 
you know, just something to think about. That's another option they can consider, though it's not a requirement. Yeah, sometimes it's easier to just handle to know that on an annual basis, we do all these different things and this is part of it, um, rather than trying to figure out, okay, when was the last time we did a survey? When was this employee hired? And is it five years? Or Sometimes it's just easier to do it that way. You typically start with what the requirement is and you kind of work your way back to, to figure out what fits in with your business. Absolutely. And once this information has been collected by the employer, how long do they need to maintain it? So you need to make sure that this information <clears throat> is retained for at least a period of three years, but also to make sure that it's being retained not with all of the other uh, personnel records. It needs to be kept separate and apart from all of those other records as well. That's right. It also needs to be kept separately from any medical file. And there are different retention requirements depending if you're collecting it in paper versus electronic. So if you're collecting the paper form, you've got to retain hard copies of either the completed self-ID form or an electronic sort of scanned PDF copy. And then you also have to retain any log or spreadsheet or database developed to record the data from the self-ID form. If you're collecting the information electronically, uh, you can either retain electronic copies of the completed self-ID form, sort of form format in appearance, a PDF type document, or you can retain um, hard copies. I guess you could print them out and then retain that as well as any logs associated with either of those. A third version of retaining the information would be to retain a detailed log or database of the data collected from the electronically completed form without copies of the actual form itself, right? So you're just saving the data input, if you will. And that's very typical in most applicant tracking systems. In that case, please note, the contractor must also be able to demonstrate how it delivered and or displayed the voluntary self-identification form to the applicants. So you want to make sure you preserve that through some mechanism, whether it's screenshots or something else on a routine basis. Uh, so that you can verify that you've met that obligation to use the OMB form. Chris, where can contractors access the CC305 and get more information about it? Yeah, I know we've thrown a lot of information out uh, today. And just to kind of, as we wrap up this podcast, where can you find more, more information as well as this form? So if you go on OSCCP's website, uh, under the contractor assistance tab, there is a link to the disability self-ID form uh, in all of its different versions and the PDF and the Word and, and all the different offerings. There's also on OSCCP's website more information under the Section 503 uh, information as well as the frequently asked questions. So OSCCP's website is a great resource to not only pull down this form, but also if there's some additional questions you may have, uh, there's, there's probably some, some more details there as well. So to summarize our conversation, contractors subject with a contract of more than $15,000 have an updated voluntary self-identification form for disabilities. This form is relatively similar to prior forms. It's just modernizing the language a bit and providing updated context to covered disabilities. You can access the form on DOL's website and the government has provided versions in several languages. It must be in use by July 25th, 2023, and it needs to be implemented in your systems or processes for both applicants and employees. Finally, remember the form has to appear in its original state. It cannot be altered, including the order of the information. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.